Good to see you guys this morning. August in Florida. Air conditioners working extra hard just so that we can hear what God has to say. Um, we're continuing with our series on Revelation. By the way, for those of you that are here for the first time, my name's Joe. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. <clears throat> We're just going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this is week 20 already. Um, I'm, I'm projecting, I think it's going to be almost, almost like 52 weeks, which would be kind of cool, right? Like one, one devotional thought about Revelation a week for a year. That'd be kind of cool, right? So this is week 20. I've called this... This week's message, a moment of silence. So prayer is a fascinating human pastime. Prayer is actually a very widely practiced spiritual discipline in America and throughout the world. I don't think people realize how many people pray. Pew Research did uh, a study about five years ago. This is before COVID, so I imagine the numbers are different now. <laughs> Pew Research says 55% of Americans say they pray every day, not just occasionally, but every day. 21% more say they pray weekly or monthly. So that's 75 plus 76, see, 76%. I can go with the numbers. <laughs> 76% of Americans either play, pray daily, weekly, or monthly. 20% of those who pray consider themselves unaffiliated with any other religion and pray daily. Here's the interesting one. People 65 and older are twice as more likely to pray every day than people under 30. <laughs> you young people think you got the bull by the horns. Just wait. <clears throat> You'll be praying. <laughs> so for a Christian, a follower of Jesus, prayer is actually the easiest thing you can do. Anytime, any place, anywhere. Sadly, it's also the easiest thing you can neglect. It's also the easiest thing to abuse or misunderstand. What things do you pray for most often? If you're one of those who prays on a consistent basis, what do you pray for most often? You know, as a pastor, I get many people sending me prayer requests, and I, and I try my best to pray for all of them. There's prayers for healing, praying for family and friends. That's a big percentage of our prayers for sure. Do you think there's types of prayers that God likes more than others? Do you ever wonder if God hears your prayers? Do you ever worry if you're praying the right way? Are there things we should be praying for that we don't? Let's look at our passage this morning. We're starting chapter 8. <clears throat> when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. That's a golden bowl that you put incense in. That's what a censer is. It's like a bowl with a cover over it. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. I know that sounds familiar, something we've talked about before in here. You guys remember the week we had the, the incense burning as an object lesson. <clears throat> 
And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. There's some interesting history with this passage. I think what we're learning as we go through Revelation, we have seen that there really is no wasted words, right? There's no wasted phrases. Everything in Revelation is important and critical. And most of those strange symbols that we struggle with are usually almost always connected to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, many times they're lifted straight out of the Old Testament and placed in this letter that John wrote. The symbolism that seems difficult to understand begins to make sense when you read Revelation with the Old Testament open right next to it. This particular thought, this idea is in full effect here in this passage. I want you to see there are several things. There's silence, there's incense, bowls of fire, and trumpets. Sounds like a lot, right? First of all, look at this silence before God. I find this interesting. Look at this passage from Zephaniah chapter 1. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this concept of silence as a warning, a precursor to judgment from God. I found tons of passages like this. This happened to be my favorite, mainly because no one ever reads anything from Zephaniah, and I wanted to say that I do. So there you go. We cover it all here at Grace Life. This silence is a stark transition from noise to silence, and it is something that demands your attention. For example, see? See how it works? See that? (laughs) Stop what you're doing. Look. Listen to what is getting ready to happen. So suddenly we see when this seventh seal is popped open by Jesus, praise, which is always continual in heaven, stops for about half an hour. And all attention is turned to the opening of this seventh seal. There is something so fascinating, so riveting about this seventh seal that everything in heaven stops except for one thing. And I just love this. It's the incense offering. In week, in week 14... Remember, we burned incense right here on the steps, illustrating what John described as the prayers of saints, like incense rising up in heaven. It was in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls, that's the golden censer, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We see this happening again with the seventh seal. We learned that this incense offering historically was actually a commanded daily and evening temple ritual in the book of Exodus. Where God said every day you will burn incense in the morning and the evening before the Lord. And even Old Testament worshipers, this is before Jesus and the cross, they all understood that the symbol of incense was the offering of prayers to God. Look what David said in Psalm 41, verse 2. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. See that? The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 
See, you can't read Revelation without the Old Testament right next to it. Then we have these bowls of fire. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12. Look what, look what the priest is con con uh, commanded to do. He shall take a censer full of coals. That's the golden censer, the bowl where the incense is burned. From the altar before the Lord. And two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil. So what the, what the priest was commanded to take this golden censer scoop in coals from the altar where the sacrifices are made, take incense, put it in the censer, put the lid on, and bring it into the holy place. This censer or golden bowl is used to ignite the incense. It's the fire needed to make the incense burn. Don't miss how this golden censer is tightly connected with the incense that is the prayers of the saints. We'll go back to this more later, okay? Then we see the trumpets. Look at the verse in Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In the ancient world, there was really nothing that could make a super loud noise except a trumpet. They didn't have police sirens. They didn't really have explosions yet. There was no special news report, nothing like that. The only thing you could make a loud noise with was a trumpet, and it is loud. Have you ever had somebody blow a trumpet in your ear when you weren't expecting it? The Old Testament uses this symbol of trumpets over and over again as a signal that impending judgment from God against the enemies of his people and on behalf of his people is about to come. There's another important famous reference to trumpets in the Old Testament. It's the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. We will visit that later. I think you're going to be fascinated by that. So let's look at this. That's the history of this passage. What about man? What is he doing? Why and how does he do it? Look at the theology in this passage. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've called this section the calm before the storm. So Jesus pops open this seventh seal, and now the entire history, we understood that he's popping open the seals on that scroll of redemption. It's basically a summary of all of human history from the perspective of those being redeemed. He pops open the seventh seal of the plan of redemption. Now everything has been revealed. It's all laid bare. And on the popping of this seventh seal, there's silence for about half an hour. It's not a literal 30 minutes. It just means for a time. And it is in response to something. And what is it that everyone is focused on? Well, just like in chapter 4 and 5, this passage reminds us how precious the redeemed and their prayers are to our heavenly dad. There's something so intimate about how all of heaven's attention is turned to these seven angels with the seven trumpets and the prayers of the saints, the incense rising. And not just for a few seconds, but about half an hour. You know what this moment is? This is the moment where God has decided, okay, now I am going to answer all the prayers of my chosen. Centuries and millennia of pleading for justice and revenge against evil, rising up as incense into heaven, 
All of them have God's attention at this moment along with the rest of heaven. This silence in heaven displays the special love and connection between heavenly dad and us, his royal holy priesthood, the church. And in the silence, while nothing else is going on, these seven angels line up with seven trumpets and they are setting up the next cycle in Revelation of judgment that we will start breaking down for you next week, the seven trumpets. And I think you're going to love that. But this seventh seal provides the symbolism of a change in perspective. The first six seals were how we, the redeemed, should see judgment. Let me try to summarize it for you. It's going to get a little complicated, so if you have some coffee without spilling it, sip it now. You ready? Let's go. <clears throat> There's a concept throughout Revelation and, frankly, the whole Bible called prophetic cycles. This is when the same prophecy is repeated, but for emphasis and clarity. So what happens is there's a prophecy, it is partially fulfilled, then it is spoken again, then it's fulfilled even more. And as it continues, this prophecy is fulfilled several times, each time with more detail. The six seals are a wide angle shot, if you will, of history, of redemption and judgment from the perspective of the redeemed. And this seventh seal provides a transition into the same judgment that has been happening through seals one through six, but it's a whole different camera angle. It's a whole different perspective this time of those who are about to be judged. Look at this in verse five. Then the angel took the censer filled with fire from the altar and they threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This thunderbolt of lightning, very, very frightening phrase that we see in Revelation, it's not chronological. It is cyclical. Let me explain. We will see this exact same description of thunder and lightning and earthquakes, and later they add fiery hail. We'll see it two other times in the book of Revelation exactly the same way. We see it in chapter 11, verse 19, where? At the very end of the seventh trumpet. Then we'll see it in Revelation 16, verse 18, at the end of the seventh bowl of judgment. So you see this same moment, it's the day of the Lord, described at the end of each cycle of judgment, which is evidence for the fact that this is not a chronological set of three separate judgments, but it is all the same from different angles and perspectives. So what about these seven angels and seven trumpets? Who are they? Well, here's the first clue. This is what's so beautiful about the book of Revelation. This phrase about the angels holding the trumpets is lifted straight from the book of Joshua in the battle of Jericho. You ready? Watch this. Joshua chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. The wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So these seven priests holding seven trumpets in Joshua, remember, church, what are we called we are called a nation of what? Royal priests. That's one clue. 
Here's a second clue. Let's go back to one of our very first sermons in the book of Revelation in this series for further insight into who these seven angels are. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. The seven stars are the seven angels of the what? Seven churches. And yet there's another clue of who these angels are. The prayer of the saints are here. The same ones we saw in our sermon from the throne room with the incense. The incense burning in the golden bowl or the golden sense. Prayers of the saints filling the throne room. These three clues point to the redeemed. The church and the prayers of the saints pleading for Jesus to return. More on the idea of praying for Jesus to return later. But what we see here clearly is these seven angels represent the seven churches. Just like the seven priests in the story of the Battle of Jericho. And then we see these prayers thrown to earth. The angel takes this golden bowl or censer full of coals that ignite the incense and the, that are the prayers, and he flings these hot burning coals with incense to the earth. So do you remember when we were preaching on the fifth seal and the martyrs were under the altar saying, how long, O Lord? This is God saying, well, now's the time. And then all our prayers over the course of human history of believers, symbolized by the coals in the golden censer, are thrown in evil's face. And they actually, our prayers, commence judgment of evil on this earth. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the personal. What do we do with this? You want to do something with it? Okay, great. Let's talk about it, okay? God loves prayer. This was the sermon preview this week. The forces of evil hate the sweet aroma of our prayer as it reminds them judgment day is coming. Heavenly Dad loves our prayers. In fact, they are actually one of his favorite things around the throne room. He chooses to make all of our prayers for the, for the judgment of evil throughout him in history the first attack in the final battle. The prayers of the saints that have been filling the throne room like incense, even as evil has been running to and fro. You know, how demoralizing will it be on that day for evil when the precious prayers of the saints are thrown in Satan's face? When Jesus pops open that last seal, evil... <clears throat> we'll be overwhelmed by that sweet fragrance of all of our prayers for his judgment. Perhaps they will hear these deafening echoes, the smell of the aroma of the prayers that have been calling for their demise since the fall of Adam and Eve. Can you see how important our prayers are for the Lord's return? Question. Do we, or more to the point, do you pray for that day enough? I mean, we, we pray for many things, mostly for our own benefit or for those we love, for our friends, our family. <clears throat> we pray for healing. We pray for blessings. We pray for jobs. We pray for relationships. We pray for wisdom. 
And we, we very much should pray for those things. Don't hear me say don't pray for those things anymore. We certainly can and we should. God can and does answer those prayers and it is wonderful and comforting when the Father hears them. But perhaps as precious and comforting as those prayers may be, maybe they aren't the best prayers we can offer. Because of all those prayers, the answers to those prayers cannot compare to the day he answers our prayers for his return to judge evil. That's going to be an awesome answer to prayer. That's the greatest answer to prayer. The greatest blessing is the day he judges evil and gathers us to be with him forever. We should not give evil the comfort of neglecting prayers for that day to come soon. Jesus told us this is the best way to pray. See if you can find the connection between the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and the sweet aroma of prayers of the saints in Revelation. I'm going to break it down for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 or for 9 to 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, and I can add in parentheses, want, before you even ask him. I mean, that's the first thing I want to look at. If God knows what we want or need before we ask, perhaps these prayers shouldn't be our first priority. I'm not saying they shouldn't be prayers or a priority, but maybe not the first one since God already knows we want that nice car. <laughs> he knows we want that job. He knows we want that relationship or our marriages to be better. He knows that. And we can and should pray for those things. Again, I'm saying that over and over again because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But it really struck me this week as I'm writing this sermon and I'm thinking through and I'm contemplating. Frankly, that stuff is an overwhelming majority of all my prayers. It really is. I'm just confessing to you. I pray for stuff like that for myself and my family and for you all the time. Jesus says, pray like this instead. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You know what this is? This is what the multitude around the throne declares over and over again, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus' prayer lines up with worship in heaven. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Look at the next part of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this isn't a magical, liturgical salutation or a rule that we should use to begin all of our prayers. It is a concept. This should be the first priority of our prayers to God. Jesus, please let your kingdom come. Now, let your will be done on this earth. Judge evil, redeem us. We know that's his will. Please, Jesus, 
pop open that final seal of the redemption scroll. Make this place just like your throne room. Bring heaven to earth now. You know, it's very hard to make this a priority of our prayers if we're too obsessed with this life. How often do you pray this? Father, holy is your name. Please, kingdom come. Please let your will be done. How long, O oh Lord? Now look what he does with the earthly prayers. This is fascinating. Frankly, it was a little hard for me to read. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we trust you for what we need to get through this day. We know it all comes from you anyway. We know we don't deserve forgiveness. Please remind us of this whenever we sit in judgment of someone else. See, this is how we should pray for things on earth. We should hold, we should hold this life a lot more loosely than we do. If, if we truly long for the return of Jesus. Now, if we don't long for the return of Jesus, this life is all you have and you better hold on to it tight because it is slipping away fast. Praying like this is an acknowledgement of everything we have belonging to him and that we will trust him for what we need because he knows we need it already. You know what else it does? It also acknowledges the most important thing that we can receive in this life before his return, which is humility and forgiveness. We also ask for Jesus to deliver us from evil. You know what that is? That is a reprise of the first prayer request. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then finally, as I end up, deliver us from evil. So, question. When I say question for you, I really mean question for me, but I've already answered it this week, so I get to pick on you. <laughs> Do you have the courage to pray this way? Do you even have the desire to pray this way? See, I'm not really sure I understood this concept until just recently once we started preaching through the book of Revelation. And I'm your pastor, and I'm just telling you, I don't think I really understood this very well. And I have to confess to you that writing these sermons over the last 20 weeks created an existential crisis for me in my prayer life <laughs> regarding my obsession with this world. Not just my world, but yours as well as your pastor and your shepherd. And the more I study Revelation, I got to tell you, the more dissatisfying praying for temporary earthly blessings has become to me. I don't say that in arrogance. I say that in a complete embarrassment that I couldn't see this sooner. I realize how much I neglect praying for Jesus to return. And it has sort of made me less interested in earthly requests. So I was praying for some earthly requests this week. 
I remember going through my head. I said, oh, that's good. I should write that down. So I did. <laughs> All right, God. I mean, I do want my family and friends to be blessed. I want my church and my business to be successful. But honestly, I would rather you just come back right now. <laughs> just judge evil. Gather us up to be with you forever and get me out of this place. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, perhaps today you have learned your prayers and their priorities need adjusting. Perhaps we need to learn how to pray again. Perhaps the kingdom should be our first priority and put what we want or what we need second. I mean, Jesus said God knows about those prayer requests anyway. Heavenly Dad loves our prayers for his return so much, perhaps we should offer them up more frequently. Perhaps we should start today together here in community by offering up a sweet-smelling aroma, a prayer asking for Jesus to return. I think we're going to do that, starting with a moment of silence, not 30 minutes, don't worry. But I want to take a few minutes of absolute quiet for you to take the opportunity to transport your heart and mind away from this world a bit. It's screaming right outside those doors. You'll hear it soon enough. And let's just spend a little time imagining the throne room. Dear Jesus, your name is awesome. <laughs> you are sovereign. You are holy. You are all-powerful. You are creator. You are sustainer. Please, just come get us. <laughs> Lord, we're so overwhelmed by the things in this world that we keep having to pray for and ask for. Seems like it's a never-ending list. Heartbreak, pain, sickness, physical needs, emotional trauma, stress, anxiety, broken relationships. We pray for these things all the time, and I know that you want us to pray for those things but all those prayers can be answered in a moment when you return. So Jesus, we ask you today, we'll wait patiently, but we sure would like to see you soon. Hmm. We would love to see you soon. We look forward to the day as you're redeemed, that you answer the sweet aroma of our prayers. And you say, okay, today's the day. And you gather us forever to be with you. And not only that, but you start the judgment. The separation of evil on this earth. 
We look forward to that moment. We look forward to that day. We ask that you make it sooner rather than later. (laughs) But nevertheless, your will be done on this earth. Until that day, Lord, please just give us what we need to make it through. Whether it be provisions or people or blessings, comfort over grief, the loss of loved ones. Lord, you know what we need. We don't even have to ask you for this, but we're just doing it because Jesus taught us to do it. Give us our daily bread. And Lord, make us willing to forgive others just as much as you have forgiven us. Keep us humble. Remind us that we are in need of redemption. And again, Lord, we just pray, deliver us from evil. Because, Lord, we know that we want to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Before we go, I want to bring up this one last slide. If you guys can bring up that slide for me again real quick. I want to go forward to the next one. I just want you to... You got it? You got it? There we go. Same chapter. Let that burn into your brain as you walk out the door. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you next week.